Our job is to solve our employees' problems for them. And our job is to retain our employees. Our job is to make sure that our employees have all the tools they need to do their job. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, and in these episodes, you'll hear Sangram interview incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to the Flip My Phone podcast. I'm here with something that we have never done, a NFL pro. So we have somebody, Reggie Rivers, who has been in six years for NFL work playing for Denver Broncos. He's with Corporate Kickoff, and I'd love to hear from him to share a lot more details. He'll also be doing something interesting around auction fundraising that I learned when we were speaking at an event recently together in Asheville. And I was right after Reggie Rivers, and I'm like, man, why did I sign up for this going after this, this personality? So I had a lot of fun, and I thought it would be really cool to bring in on the podcast and talk about leadership, authority, how do you build trust? And probably the biggest takeaway for me from that talk was around celebrating big wins. If you're going to dive deep in each one of them. So Reggie, welcome to the show. Hey, Sandra, thank you very much for having me. And I really enjoyed your presentation in Asheville, North Carolina, as well as my first time in Asheville, first time meeting you. But yeah. I, I thought it was a great conference and I learned a lot while I was there. And, and it's exciting to be on this podcast with you. Awesome, man. Well, I'd love for you to share anything else uh, that I probably, I'm sure I missed a lot of things that you're doing or you're focused on and a fun fact about yourself. Sure. So I'm a former Denver Bronco, as, as you mentioned. And so my company is called Corporate Kickoff. So I do corporate motivational speaking. And so, and we also have another side of our business where we do auction fundraising. So we do the auction at big charity galas. And a fun fact about myself, well, I have a 15-year-old son who is 5'11", 165 pounds. He plays football, basketball, and lacrosse, but he does not believe that I have any advice to offer him that is worth taking when it comes to sports. I'm like, I played in the NFL, man. What is wrong with you? He does not take any advice from me. Well, welcome to the parent land. Like, I think me having two kids, I think my, my kids are younger. I have an eight-year-old son and a four-year-old daughter. So right now, I'm the hero for them, and I can see in their eyes. And I know that, they, you know, that, that, that is something to, to not look forward to as they grow older. Right. <laughs> so that's awesome, man. That is really cool. But I learned a lot. So let's dive into it. I think one of the most interesting things for me from your talk, and I would love for you to kind of unpack it for us over here, was around the difference between leadership and authority. And, and I'd love for you to kind of share more in depth about that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, so leadership, I think, is a word that gets confusing to people that people think that to be the leader, it means you're the person in charge. And sometimes that might be true. It might be that the person in charge is the leader, but often in an organization, the leaders aren't necessarily people who are in charge. And I really got a chance to see this firsthand when I was in the NFL because I met a lot of position coaches. So position coaches in the NFL that's the running backs coach, the wide receivers coach, the linebackers coach, all the guys who teach one specific position. Well, these guys have zero authority. They don't hire players. They don't fire players. They don't negotiate salaries. They don't give raises. They don't dock pay. They don't even get to decide who's in the starting lineup on Sunday. Yet these guys who have no authority 
are charged with, you've got to lead these young men at your position. You've got to teach them the game plan. You've got to teach them how to play their positions better. You've got to teach them how to become better football players. And the players are aware that these position coaches don't have any authority. The players walk in the room like, dude, they're paying you $250,000 a year. They're paying me $5 million a year. The organization has already spoken about which of us is more important. Just stay out of my way. Someday you're going to put it on your resume that you coached me. Right. And so that's the <laughs> the players have. That's why I had a front row seat to watch how these coaches engage with the players to win their trust, to to start to get to, to get them to believe in them and, and to recognize that this coach has something of value that can help me become a better player. And those strategies, I think, apply equally well in the business community because they this was true leadership without authority. And when you understand that leadership doesn't require authority. And in fact, the more authority you have, maybe the less of it you should use all the time and really try to lead by influencing people, by building relationships with them, by getting closer to them, by understanding what their goals are, by being a servant leader that instead of you bossing them around, they're basically telling you, what can you do to make my job better? And when you start delivering on those things, they start to become more and more loyal to you. I love that, especially the last part, and I took note on that is, I was listening to an Andy Stanley podcast, who's again, is really big on leadership. And he talks about this idea of helping. And it's a very easy word. We, we throw that around a lot. But if you're actually a leader, your job is to help your team. And it's not top down, actually, it's bottom up. And the faster you recognize that, well, you're a leader, not because you're the smartest person in the room, but because you have to start acting. And he said this when, when he said this, I was like, well, the word that he used, I'm about to say that. And when he said that, I got offended for a second. And then I was like, no, he's actually right. He said, you need to learn how to be the dumbest person in the room in order to get the best ideas. And your job is not to make the decision. Your job is to make the best decision that needs to be done made in that meeting. So I feel like your definition where you're leading with influence makes perfect sense. Have you, as you have gone around and you obviously are helping a lot of different companies think through that, are there examples of companies or are there examples of organizations that are doing this well? You know, off the top of my head, I can't think of the names of the companies, but yes, there are definitely companies. I speak to a lot of different organizations and you can tell the difference between them. You can tell that some of them are very top-down, hierarchical organizations and, and that can work too. It's just a different type of leadership. But then there are some where you, where you meet the, the managers and the, the VPs and the CEO and, and you recognize that, yeah, they really have a commitment to our job is to solve our employees' problems for them. And our job is to retain our employees. Our job is to make sure that our employees have all the tools they need to do their job. Our job is to make sure that our our employees have a competitive wage. Our job is to do all these things to keep our employees happy because our employees, when they're happy, they drive the engine that makes everything go well. And of course, I speak to some other companies that have a different approach. They're, They're like, listen, we set a standard and it's our employee's job to jump over that standard all the time. If they don't do it, we'll get rid of them. We'll get new employees. And I think in certain industries, that might work too, but it's, I, it's just never been my experience, and especially being in the NFL where you have, this is top level talent. This is like, 
you're running a medical you're running a medical facility and these are your surgeons and these surgeons know that they can leave tomorrow and go work in somebody else's operating room down the street so you better be taking care of your surgeons when you got them there and my experience from the NFL was very much that way and I brought that with me into the business world I love that man I love that so the second thing I wanted what I felt was really interesting is how you talked about building trust and kind of walking it through because everybody knows that trust is by far one of the most important, probably you can't measure trust by any stretch, but you know when it's there and the results when you have incredible amount of trust within your team members is phenomenal. Everybody knows this. How does that translate from NFL to businesses? Well, I think that, that the way that NFL coaches win the trust of their players is they get to know these players. Like they would have a conversation that sit down with a rookie and say, man, I really loved everything that you did in college. You had a great collegiate career. I can't wait to see what you want to do or what you're going to do in the NFL. What are some of your goals that you have for yourself? What, what do you want to accomplish in your rookie year? And if you did that, you would feel like I had the, the kind of rookie year I wanted to have. What are some of the goals you want to accomplish in your overall NFL career? Is there anybody who's been in the league for four or five years and you look at that guy and you say, I want to have a career like he's had. Who is that? Let's figure out who that is. And then let's study him. Let's see if we can reverse engineer what he's doing. How much, how many yards is he rushing for? How many catches is he making? What do you think it takes for him to perform like that on Sundays? What do you think he does during the off season to be able to perform like that? What do you think he does during the season? And, you know, I've, I've been a coach in the NFL now for 25 years. I have coached some players. I understand what's the difference between the really good players and the great players and if that's the goal that you have for yourself, I might have some strategies we can use to help you get there. They, they have that kind of conversation with the players where right away they're demonstrating, I'm on your side, but my job is just to help you achieve whatever your goals are. You tell me what your goals are, I'm going to help you try to achieve those goals. And I think in the business world, we have to bring that same approach to, to sit down with people and understand what is it that they, they want to get out of their job? What is it that they want to get out of their career? And how can we facilitate that? And I think that if you're always trying to graduate the people who are around you, graduate them out of whatever it is they're doing, that you're just trying to make them better. Like you're not going to stay in fifth grade forever. You're going <laughs> to graduate to sixth grade and then graduate to seventh grade. Then I think you're creating an environment that people feel enriched. They feel valued. They feel like they have the opportunity to grow. And, and you don't have to hold on to them. You don't have to clutch them. They're yeah. holding on to you, you know, because you, they feel like every, you're, you're just feeding them opportunity after opportunity. I love that. I love that. You know, I remember as we started Terminus, you know, we went from uh, three to 200 folks in the last three and a half, four years. And I remember that it one, it, it really, it, like really talented person left the company. And I was, I was very sad about that. I felt like, well, we're, what did I do wrong? What did we do wrong as a company? And in that conversation, um, after reaching out and figuring out what we learned was we were trying to figure out where we want to go without necessarily fully understanding where this person wanted to go. And it has happened a couple of times when we're trying to hire people for a role that we need, but without fully understanding what they want to do and how that fits in their view of their life, their career, it won't be a long-term relationship. It's not. So I think your point of like, how do you figure out they hold on to you versus you hold on to them is a big idea. Sure. Yeah, that's great. 
Cool. So let's talk about this one. The last, oh my God, this is so good. This is, I think, so, so amazing. And I, I feel we, I don't think we do enough. And I don't think anybody does enough. And I think this is, this is huge. You talked about this idea that when you're building a team environment, you have to celebrate small wins. And I think you gave examples how, I, how it's done in NFL that I would love for you to share. But then you also shared an example of like, you know, whatever company you were working on where somebody made a call and they actually had a great call and you said, hey, great call. But then everybody was like, well, nobody was celebrating but you. Can you share that? Because that is such a great visual for me and I think for the audience. Sure. You know, when I, when I left the NFL, the lack of celebrations was one of the most difficult things for me to adjust to. <laughs> you come out of the NFL environment and in the NFL, you celebrate everything. Right. The goal is to win the Super Bowl every year, but you don't wait till you win the Super Bowl to celebrate. You celebrate every victory, every touchdown, every nice catch, every nice run, every interception, every sack, every play that's made. And the fans are so educated about the metrics of football. They celebrate with you. A guy makes a run, a five yard run and gets a first down. Seventy six thousand people are on their feet cheering over this five yard run because they all recognize success in, a, in this most granular form. So I left the NFL, I get into talk radio, and I'm in the sales office one day, and a young lady is making a sales call. She's trying to make a sale on, for advertising on my show. And I thought she had a great call. Like she handled the objections, she stayed calm, she was very polite in the, in the way she was talking. I, I felt like she made a lot of headway. So she hangs up, and I was like, great job, Julie. Oh, oh, do, oh, do we not do that? We, <laughs> oh, let me just sit down here. And you know, and it was like, Wow, she just made a great call. I recognize that as a great call. I want to celebrate, like, instantly. That's what we do in football. I go over and pat somebody on the back when they do a good job. And so as I moved further into my business career, I just realized that that was a characteristic of most businesses, that there is no celebration. There aren't, and, and I think that you have to find a way to routinely celebrate the things that are happening because otherwise people burn out. And, yeah. and you also have to find a way to, I don't want to say celebrate, that's not quite the right word, but recognize mistakes when they happen mm-hmm. and just kind of bring them out in the open and not, not treat them like they're these evil things that need to be hidden away. Don't you ever reveal that you've made a mistake because that terrifies people. That, that gets them to the point that they can never, they'll never make a play. And I always remember from my NFL career is, the guy who throws most of the interceptions on our team is also the guy who threw all the touchdown passes. The guy <laughs> who fumbled the ball the most on our team is also the guy who rushed for the most touchdowns. The guy who dropped the most passes on our team is also the guy who caught the most passes. So your playmakers are going to be the ones who make the mistakes. And so part of the NFL culture is the culture is very accepting of mistakes, not mediocrity, not failure, but of mistakes, just a recognition that, yeah, it's a tough environment. Your competition is good. You're going to get beaten sometimes. Who cares? The next play is coming. Let's go again. We don't make a big deal about the mistakes. And I think I've tried to bring that into my business. And I've seen many other businesses where they create a culture where mistakes aren't encouraged and they're not acceptable, but they're just a normal part of the business. And when you have that, people are much more courageous about what they'll take on. Oh man, that is so good. I I know in our team, in our company, our sales team is by far one of the best when it comes to 
celebrating wins. And, and when I say that, that's beyond just the deal being closed. They're also celebrating each call and the cold call they made or the target account they had. So that environment really stays there and is, is amazing. But then I don't think every other business unit within the, the company celebrates it that way. And we've been thinking about, especially after your talk, is like, well, how do you bring this across the organization in a way that makes sense for their team? For example, an engineering team who are coding all day long, their way of celebration is very different than a team that is a sales call that they're having, right? So you can't say, hey, you got to celebrate. You can't celebrate the same way for everybody because then it's forced. So we have to figure out the right way and the right context to allow the, the organization to breathe around both the celebrations and the challenges and the learnings that we have. So I love that. All right. So I'm going to summarize, as, as I said to you even before, like I knew I was going to take two pages of notes on it. So I'm going to share the top maybe three big ideas from this podcast. And as I do that, think about a challenge that you want to share with the audience, uh, which I'm sure is, 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 is kind of chomping at the bits for it. So number one, when we talked about leadership and authority, I think you made a really awesome point that you got to do lead with influence as opposed to authority. And leading with influence, it, to me, it translates into leading with helping. Like that should be the, almost the first response when you are asked to lead, which is like your job is to serve, to help. So, so I feel a lot of people don't look at it that way. And so that, that's a big takeaway for anybody in leadership position. Your number one job is to serve, is to help. The second thing you said is, is again, a phenomenally big idea is that when you work with somebody on the team, your job is not to figure out a way to hold on to them. Your job is to actually figure out a way that they will hold on to you. And the way that happens, in your words, was to figure out a way that they can graduate to the next level. Now, whatever the next level is, maybe, you're, maybe you have a sales team and it is from SDR, sales rep, to an account bearing rep to, to become a leader or management team. Maybe somebody from engineering can go into customer success. Whatever their goal is, figuring out how do you help them graduate, that's how they're going to be there, not in the same role. So I love that. And the, the third part, beyond celebrating small wins, which I thought was the biggest idea of all, I feel like you introduced even a bigger idea than that, which was how do you make sure that you recognize mistakes? And I think that is, that is absolutely a phenomenal idea because a lot of times you have this rah-rah culture where everybody's, everything is celebrated and something happens and everything shuts down, right? And that's because you never created a culture for everybody to talk about, oh, okay, we screwed up. Okay, we learned something from it. Let's move. So I feel like your point that playmakers make mistakes is a really big idea. So those were the top three for me. I'm sure I missed a ton outside of all the things that you shared. But I'd love for you to share a challenge with everybody in the audience. Sure. I'd say for a challenge, do something that NFL players have to get really good at, and that is learn to focus on your behaviors. And so there are two sets of things. You have goals and you have behaviors. And we, our culture, we talk a lot about goals. Goals are the things that you want to achieve in life. But the challenge you have with goals is that most goals are outside of your direct control. If you're a coder and you say, hey, I want our company to be successful, well, that's great. You have control over the coding. You don't have control over the whole company. You don't have control over the customers. You don't have control over the government regulations. You don't have control over all the things that impact you. You only have control over your behaviors. And so I know as a football player, I would say, I want to make the team this year. I don't have control over who the coaches are, who they like, 
what players they draft, what players they sign as free agents, how many reps they give me in practice, any of that. I don't have control over it, but what do I have control over? I have control over how, whether I work out or not. I have control over what I eat. I have control over how much sleep I get. I control over how much I study my playbook. I control over a lot of things. I have control over my attitude. And if I just focus on the things that I control, I tend to achieve the things that are outside of my control. And so I challenge myself and others always, when you make a goal for yourself, write down your goals, be very specific, put a target date, all of that. But then immediately make a list of behaviors. What could I do today that would help me get closer to that goal? Because those behaviors are what you have to work on. And if you're not sure what a behavior is, here's the test. Will you raise your your hand, please? Yeah. Will you raise your hand? And everybody who's watching, raise your hand. That's a behavior. A behavior is something that you alone can do in any moment. If I want to raise my hand, I can raise my hand. Anything that can't be done in the moment is is a goal. It's not a behavior. If I say I want to lose five pounds, everybody lose five pounds right now. (laughs) We love that. It's a goal. So what is a behavior? Well, how much food I eat is a behavior. How much I work out is a behavior. How much water I drink is a behavior. And so if you really get focused on your behaviors, you tend to start knocking down your goals. So I challenge everybody, make a list of your goals, immediately make a list of the behaviors that are associated with those goals, and then focus 100% of your attention on those behaviors. I love that. I love that. That's awesome. Reggie, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm sure we're going to get a lot of great feedback from this. And man, keep rocking it. Oh, I appreciate it, Sangram. Thank you. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.